Hello again, skating family, and welcome back to the August 10th, the third episode of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. Skate Canada is very happy to bring you this podcast for another edition, and we continue to bring you this podcast monthly as part of our Skate Canada Alumni Blog. And that blog is an opportunity for us to sit down, chat with some of our most celebrated alumni about their past, their present, and their future. All of the stories you'll see there, or or hear here in the monthly podcast, they're all opportunities for our alumni to tell their stories and share their experiences with the entire skating family. Some stories will be familiar, but most will be memories and behind-the-scenes insights which the world has never heard. They are all delivered lovingly and with tremendous passion for the sport that has given each of us so very much. Now, this is our third episode. In our first episode, we had a chat with Craig Bunton. In our last episode, we talked with Elizabeth Putnam. Today, we're going to have a very special conversation between our very own Debbie Wilkes and former athlete turned Skate Canada professional, Mike Slipchuk. Mike competed in the 1992 Albertville Olympics, and he is also a Canadian's gold medalist. So in just a moment, we'll hear from both Debbie and Mike. But before we do, I also want to encourage all of our listeners, and especially our alumni, to reach out and tell us your story. Maybe you'll even be on the next episode of the podcast. Visit alumni.skatecanada.ca and click on register. Give us your info, we'll reach out, we'll have a conversation, and we'd love to make your story part of the greater collection of of knowledge and, and experiences that we have to share through the podcast, but also on the blog. All right. Here's Debbie and Mike. With us today is one of my favorite skating people, Mike Slipchuk, who is the High Performance Director at Skate Canada. And probably if, if you look at all your adventures, Mike, there are very few people that have uh, the kind of experience you have from being a Canadian champion, national, international, Olympic competitor, a coach, an official, now high performance director, you've done it all. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of kind of scary to think of all that, but uh, you know, I think it definitely, all those pieces uh, of my skating life have definitely been an asset as I've moved through and, and I think have, uh, you know, played a big part in, in uh, helping me um, in my role as high performance director, for sure. Has this been sort of the, the what we might call the culmination of, of your career? I'm sure it probably represents some of the most difficult decisions and yet some of the most wonderful experiences of your career. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, from the, the day I started in this uh, in this role with Skate Canada's high performance director, it's been uh, it's been exciting and, and one of the one of the probably best times uh, in Canadian skating that we've had in a long time with with the level of skaters in all disciplines and the success they had. Just being a part of it has been been great and uh, and learned a lot along the way. There's been a lot of a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges and a lot of rewards. So, uh um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely been uh, uh, an experience that uh, will lend as we move into, into the next couple of years and a new group of skaters. I'm, I'm going to come back to talk about 
how skating has changed in the time from when you were a competitor to your position now. But before we do that, I'd like to go back to the very beginning. Um, tell us about how you got started skating. Uh, I actually got into skating through hockey. Uh, I was playing hockey uh, in Edmonton, and our uh, our team, our coach, had our team do at the time the NST program, national. Uh, what do they call it? National skating test. National skating called? test. Yeah. Yeah. So so we went into the NST program, and uh, we did that for uh, for one year, and and I was one that didn't pay attention well, and played around a lot and so my uh, my parents made me do it again <laughs> and so I had to I went through the whole uh, the skating program again the next year and at that time my sister had started to skate so I, I started to go in one day a week I think I skated Saturdays and I would go in and and just start and I, I was probably nine nine or ten so I started late and I just started going one day a week and then it started to become two days a week three days a week and it wasn't until I, I was 15 when yeah, 15, 16, when I had qualified for Canada Games, um, I was playing, at that point, I was playing peewee hockey, moving into Bantam, and I was not a tall guy. I could skate, but I was small. And so it, it just, uh, I just felt that I was wanting to go figure skate more than I was to go play hockey, and that's when I officially kind of transitioned out. But up until 15, 16 years of age, I was doing both. It's really interesting to hear that story because we often believe that you have to start competing at a very early age and to understand that you not only did you start late but you didn't really identify competitive skating for yourself as a, a key feature in your life until much later what was it that hooked you um i i don't know i just i just think i just i i like the challenge um um, I didn't have a lot of success when I started skating. I think for the first three years I competed, I came dead last. Uh, now, again, this was before they had anything like pre-preliminary or, or a star skate system. So you went right into juvenile. And I think my first competition, I did a half a flip or maybe a full flip. I can't even remember. But I was like dead last for three years. And then when I finally won a medal at sectionals, that kind of started to kind of turn the tide. And, and uh, I just, um, you know, it was one of those things I just kind of, I enjoyed I enjoyed the like the the training part. Uh, I enjoyed all aspect. I liked figures. I liked free skate, and and had a lot of good friends that were kind of we were all coming up at the same time. And you know when I was about fourteen, fifteen, Kurt had moved to Edmonton, and so we were now skating together. And that was kind of the start of of our build of the Glenora, um, of where we ended up being by the you know the early to late nineties. And and we just it was a, a fun place to be. But um, you know my parents always encouraged me to do a lot of stuff. So. Not only did we skate, but being at the at the Royal Glenora Club, we played badminton, we played squash, we played tennis. Uh, we had our own hockey team because almost all of us came out of hockey. Um, so, <clears throat> sorry. So, you know, we did a lot of other stuff than just skate, but, you know, skating started to take the priority as we got older. And when did you begin your coaching relationship with Jan Olmark? Uh, I started with Jan, I think, in about 79 so uh, I was with Jan for till well till I retired in '92. So yeah, roughly '78, '79. Jan had moved to uh, the Glenora Club from uh, uh, he was in Lethbridge, Alberta. Went back to Sweden, and then he was hired at the Glenora. And uh, I started with him in the fall of that year, and and was with Jan right through my whole career. And and uh, you know I would say if I if I hadn't if I hadn't had the opportunity to 
to start with you on at that young, uh, you know, well, I guess I wasn't really young at that time, but at the start of my career, I'm not sure if I would have ever went to the levels I did. Um, you know, we, you know, he pushed us hard. He was, uh, you know, he, he made skating fun for us, but he was, he was a taskmaster and, uh, he, he got, he got a lot out of all of us. I, he got, uh, every bit of, uh, ability I had out of me, uh, there. And so, you know, I, I owe, I owe my career to Jan and, and even my career after is, uh, you know, Jan is, Jan has always still been close to, uh, to me and Cynthia Allmark, his wife. And, and I think that's important is the, the legacy of what the coach started you with and, and where it goes past skating, I think is so important. It's funny because um, back in the days when when you competed and certainly when I competed, you stuck with your coach. You you found kind of the right combination of personalities, and that that kind of track was very much the norm at that time. Whereas today, we see a lot of movement within the competitive ranks, moving from coach to coach or team teaching. Uh, what, what's your impression around that? Yeah, you know what, I, I, I think debits are, Debbie, it's kind of the sign of the times. You know, back, back in my day when I was coming through, if if uh, you know, if I was, if I did something and I was in trouble with Jan or or I was mad at him, my parents automatically <laughs> blamed. They automatically blamed me. Like there was no sympathy, you know, coming that you know, oh, we're gonna go talk to Jan. There were no parent meetings. I don't think my parents ever had a meeting with Jan. Um, you know, they would kind of check him. You know, they didn't come down to the rink often. Uh, as my dad would say, you don't watch me work all day, so I'm not gonna come to the rink and watch you skate all day, and. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, the, the coach was in charge and there was that there was that respect as there was with school and and everything is you just didn't go to school. And, and if you didn't like your teacher, switch teachers, you just didn't do that. And and, you know, uh, I think with with us at that age, they're just this is who you took from and you had to build that that bond. And, you know, I, I think it's been evident even as, as you look at skating now, those athletes that have been with coaches for an extended period tend to be the ones that that continue to excel because the coach knows how they work better than anyone. How did, speaking of school, how did you manage school once you were into international competition? Uh, well, school was always top priority. If marks dropped, the first thing that that was cut out was was skating. So I always knew that. So, you know, education was number one priority. Um, I, I went full, full high school all the way through to the end. I think the, the, in grade 12, I think I did like a, a half day the first semester just for the competition part and then, and then that. But um, I did that. I took, a year, uh, I took a year off after high school. And then I went to uh, college and university. So I, I always continued, uh, continued with education, be it, be it, be it a, a one or two classes a semester. But you know, I just found I found I needed that diversion. Um, the one year I didn't go to school was uh, the 88 Olympic year, 87, 88, uh, trying to make that Olympic team. And I found that was the worst year I ever had because skating just became everything. That's all you you slept, you thought, you dreamt, you did everything skating. And there was no diversion. And so when when I didn't make the Olympic team that year, which probably was the best thing for me at that time and my career moving forward, I went back to a normal life that I've done for the last 12 years of my life where you went to school, you, you had skating and you found that balance. And, and I, and I do feel it's important because, you know, skating, you know, skating is a big part of our life, but you you tend to walk away from skating anywhere from 20 to, well, up to 30 years of age, you have a long life to live after. 
It is so important. I completely agree. I had a similar experience. My parents said they must have been talking to your parents because <laughs> <laughs> they said uh, school is number one, skating is number two. And uh, I certainly always respected that. And I think yeah. uh, from the competitor's perspective, too, there is so much stress that yeah. you are, as a competitor, having to deal with at a very young age. And although the skaters look like adults on the ice, the emotional intelligence and the kind of life experience that you've had uh, is is um, limited in many respects to skating and what is required there. So the kind of stress that you feel from your parents, from your coach, yeah. from your club, from your country can become overwhelming if you don't have other interests. Yeah, and, and you know, Deb, when I was coming through the last years that I was skating, I I really never thought I was going to make my life in skating. I really didn't. Uh, you know, the, your, your options as a pro skater at that time, there was ice capades, there was Disney on ice. Um, you know, Stars on Ice was, was at that point, uh, with Brian, Rob, and Tracy and, and Scotty building it. You know, it was, but that was a tour that unless you were, you know, a world Olympic medalist, you weren't going to be on. So, you know, I, I, I never really saw myself doing a lot of pro skating after I didn't even see myself coaching. I really wasn't, I, my plan was to finish my ed degree and be a school teacher and, and move on that way. And, uh, life just turns you around. So I, you know, I think that was a good part of, of my education coming up is, is I wasn't looking at it as, well, I got to stay in this for the rest of my life. So what I'm going to do, it's just kind of evolved. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of glad it's gone that direction. But uh, if you would have asked me in 90, uh, 90 to 92 what I was going to do moving forward, uh, I definitely wouldn't have been to be in this role. It's so interesting the kind of uh, hand that life deals us. And I think so important, too, that if you are uh, staying in skating for your career, that it's a result of choice and not yeah. because that's the only thing you know. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. And anything, any other life experiences that you have can only make whatever your choice of career is, can only make that better and can only make you more prepared. So let's talk. I want to wind back a little bit and talk about the year you won the Canadian Championship because I remember that so clearly, so clearly. Um, you had... Well, why don't you tell the story, especially uh, about the nosebleed? Uh, well, the, the, the season as a whole, I, I would say, um, you know, going into that year and the year prior, I was seventh at Worlds. So I was fortunate to, to get on a couple of tours. I did the ISU Europe tour after Worlds. I did some of Colin, Tommy Collins tour. So I made some money uh, for skating. And at, and at that point, you know, Jan said, whatever you make, you should put right back into your skating to get to the Olympics. And I did. So I... I trained. I went to Frank Carroll for the month of June when he was up at Lake Arrowhead. I trained with him. I came back to Edmonton. I had a, probably the best off-ice program I ever had. And in that year, I probably trained the best. I was skating the best. I was in the best shape, but I was competing the worst I ever did. And I came last at Skate America uh, uh, at Nations Cup, which unfortunately there's a videotape that's that's that. Uh, that it, that everyone was given at the event, so this is captured for everyone to see. I think I fell <laughs> seven times uh, in that program, and I just was at wit's end as I was leading into Canadians, and so I, you know, I had to do a regroup, and and you know, I was working with a sports psychologist at the time, and 
and I kind of got myself reorganized and, and went to divisionals in Prince George and, and had a good short program there. And then leading into Canadians, I just felt good. And uh, given my season, Kurt was out with an injury. Uh, so it was Elvis and I. And as we got there, I was all of a sudden gone from being, you know, one of the top three men in the country to possibly not even making the Olympic team and wasn't sure how that happened. So I just stayed to my course and and uh, unfortunately, uh, well, not unfortunately, but in the short program there uh, after the warm-up, I just, I got a really bad nosebleed as I was waiting between skaters and it just couldn't, it just wasn't stopping. And so they gave me as much time as I could, but at some point I had to go on. And so I went, went on, started the short program, stopped after I think the second element uh, and then was given the ultimatum, either I finished the program or I withdraw. So I I, I finished the program that night, and, and that was probably the worst Canadian schedule we ever had. We, the, the entire competition was over by 9 o'clock on the Saturday night, and the senior men started at 9.30 Saturday night with a short program. So we competed. We were out of the rink by midnight, had an 8 o'clock practice the next morning. They took me to the hospital. They cauterized my nose so to stop the bleeding, and we were competing at 11.30, I think, that morning. And... Uh, and again, I, I had been training well, so I, I felt good. I felt confident. And uh, I, as always, I, I seemed to always skate after Elvis or Kurt. So, uh, you know, as I, as I was going out just waiting for Elvis's marks, and I'm always used to hearing 5'8", five, 5'9", five, you know, possibly a 6. And I was hearing 5'3", five, 5'5", five, five, and I'm kind of thinking, huh, that's kind of that, that's low for Elvis. And uh, when I went over to Jan, Jan just said, if there ever was a day, today's the day. And I kind of went, got it. And uh, I had one, probably one of my strongest long programs of the season and, and, uh, and won the Canadian championship. And, and uh, you know, it was definitely, I would definitely say the highlight of, uh, of my career. But, uh, you know, I really felt I put the time in, uh, in, especially that year, to prepare for that and was ready for anything. And everything that possibly could have went wrong did, but it ended up being uh, the best, best moment of my career. And I'm sure, you know, thinking about Jan's optimistic personality and positive approach to things, reframing uh, such an unexpected occurrence as far as your nosebleed is concerned, uh, sounds to me like one of his uh, greatest talents, putting it in the right place. Yeah, you had no option. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, what do we do to fix this, and what do we got to do to compete? And, uh, you know, I, I knew this was was probably my last Canadians. I didn't know if I was going to stay another two years for the next Olympics. So, and I'd missed '88 by one spot. So, you know, I'd been four four good years of, of competition, and you don't want to let it go like that. So, you know, you just you buckle down and you got to do what you got to do. And and uh, fortunately for me, it uh, you know it. It, uh, it it turned out well that day, and I got I got my opportunity to go to the Olympics, which uh, you know every athlete dreams about. You bet. Have you now, in hindsight, and I'm sure you've reviewed it many times, but when you look back to the beginning of that season, where you've you've mentioned anything that could go wrong did go wrong, is do you have any um, perspective on that now? Was it nerves or or? Uh, you know what? I just uh, I I to this day I don't know. I just uh, you know again trained well. Obviously I I did find out as I got in as I got in later in the season, 
my mind was just when I would step step out to go like for the long program and the short programs I did pretty well and it was the longs I struggled. It just seemed like a daunting task. Like how the hell am I, or sorry, I don't know if I should say that. How the heck am I going to get through four and a half minutes? And, uh, and I think that's what was causing me trouble in competition is it just my mind, as soon as I made a mistake, everything went sideways. And when I kind of did a, you know, a recharge after Nations Cup, before challenge uh, with uh, Mary, who is the sports psychologist I worked with, we started to put the program down to one element at a time, like opening triple axle, then then the triplets, then the, the triple toe, triple toe, like step by step, uh, and not getting ahead of myself. And I found when I when I got myself into that train of thought, I that that's when I started to compete better because I wasn't looking at the big picture. I was just getting through section by section, and that that to me, my mind just that made sense to me and that that's what really triggered uh, the rest of that season but even changing that kind of attitude really takes a lot of practice and a lot of determination you know figuring I don't have to do the whole program right now I only have to do it one element at a time that too takes practice well it does and then it's ironic now in the role I am and and uh, you know being around you know these incredible athletes that we get to work with is is a lot of them struggle with the same thing of like you know stepping to center ice going how the heck is this going to happen and then finishing going that was great um you know it's uh it's a hard sport we do and uh and so you know the mind plays a big part and then it gets harder the older you get so you know you you had to find what works for you that's what i needed and that to me made uh you know made the biggest difference uh for the rest of that season for me and then as you moved on into your uh, coaching career, can you describe for us that decision that you made? There you were, educated, thinking you're going to become a teacher, but not on the ice. And suddenly you find yourself coaching. Skating. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, a funny story on that. Jan had always said, and we'd always talked that when, when we felt I got as far as I could get in the world, that it was time to move on. And uh, and so pretty much when I won Canadians in Moncton, I kind of figured this was it. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to happen again. So, you know, I did Olympics, uh, did Worlds, uh, whatever. And then, you know, you take some time off. And then I'm thinking, ah, oh, you know, it's only two years till the next Olympics. You know, I think I should stay in. And that, so I come back to the rink. And, you know, Jan, in, in Jan's mind, I'm done. And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking maybe I'll stay two more years. And... Uh, he said, you know, explicit, uh, you know, are you an idiot? Uh, do you really think you're going to go out and be Kurt and Elvis next year? <laughs> and I kind of looked at him and I said, you're right. <laughs> and I always respect Jan's honesty, and he was dead right. And uh, when I sat at Canadians in 93 watching Kurt and Elvis head-to-head, uh, and, you know, when one of the, one of the most uh, incredible Canadians we had, I just thought I was in the right place. I, I did my thing. It was time for me to move on. And... Uh, and and I'm glad I did at that time, and and so I I, I went back to university at that point uh, full time. I started to work part time with the Alberta Sport Council uh, in in Edmonton, and I started doing a bit of coaching for Jan and Christy Ness, who was uh, in Edmonton at the time. And so that's kind of when I just I was doing that for about two years, and uh, and then the government job I. I, it was okay, but it wasn't for me. And then an opportunity came uh, at the Glencoe Club in Calgary uh, for the, the head coaching position. And I got asked if I'd be interested in applying. So I did. And, and uh, 
in I think it was in the the spring of '95. I took that job and I was there for 12 years and 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 got to kind of do my own thing and I learned a lot uh, 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 there just uh, about coaching and about skating, which uh, which really has played a big part in my life. It's funny how life has a way of sorting things out, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, I just I I've, I'll have to say, uh, Debbie, I just don't I don't know what it is, but I just found at times in my life when I felt I was ready for a change, an opportunity was there, and uh, and I just grabbed them, and uh, and I'm glad I did. So, uh, yeah, if I didn't go to Calgary, I don't think I would have kept coaching. I think I would have eventually. I needed to see if I could do it on my own. Uh, helping out was fine, but but I needed to know if I could be a be a, a strong coach myself. So that was the best step for me. Well, and really be engaged too. I think that it it's hard when you've been a, a, such a committed competitor and someone who is so successful that uh, picking away at stuff is just uh, it just doesn't fit with the mentality, you know, an A type person. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and, and when I went to Calgary, you know, the the last thing Yon said to me when I left, he said, wait till you have to teach an axle. And I'm like, what do you mean teach an axle? But these kids don't have an axle? Oh, my goodness. Did I learn a lot <laughs> trying to figure out how to teach an axle? Like, when I coached in Edmonton, I was coaching the senior kids. Like, I was coaching, the, you know, the high kids. So it was it was different. So, you know, going back to grassroots is what, what I think made me have a better understanding of coaching and, and learnt, learnt the most as a coach. Are there highlights in your coaching career that that you really cherish? Uh, yeah, you know what I um, I, I would I would say as a whole I, I I went into a great environment. I had I had a great group of of skaters and coaching staff to work with. Um, uh, at that point in you know in Calgary, we Calgary was very had a lot of success. Like. Uh, you know, out of our club at the time, Leah Hepner was novice and junior uh, ladies champion at the time. Uh, uh, I fortunately, I, I was lucky to have Courtney Sokol, who was uh, second uh, second to Joanie as a novice and junior, and and did international events, and and then just had had some great skaters that really maximized their talent and got to Canadians and and got a chance to compete at senior on on the big stage and have moved. You know, um, have, have have either taken their their successes, and you know, one is Chad Goodwin, who I taught. He he's now the the head director of the Golden Knights, uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights uh, Skating School. Uh, wow, he's uh, he's got himself a job. Uh, you know, a lot of the skaters they've gone on to be you know nurses. They've gone on into the business world. They've they've really gone uh, you know really in directions professionally, which which is so good to see. And I and I think that's the thing that that I, I learned from coaching is uh, it, was, it was important to keep kids on the ice, keep them busy. And, you know, there was a few families and parents that, you know, they, they always said is if we can keep our child on the ice till the end of grade 12, then we've done, you know, that's what we need to do. It's during those tricky years when they can really get uh, diverted. And so I, I realized that skating isn't all about going to Canadians and, and going to Worlds and Olympics. It's about keeping kids occupied keeping them on a direction keeping them active and uh and keeping them uh out of trouble and so i I learned a lot of more of how you know how sport builds in rather than just competition and i think that that was uh, a very key learning for me because i didn't see it that way at all when i skated well and i i guess as we all look back while medals and titles and international experience are all 
boy, top of my um, memory list about um, um, thrills and accomplishment, uh, I really look back at skating and see the life lessons that it taught me. And that sounds corny, I know. Yeah. But, uh, boy, they they really stand out. And they're the things that I think uh, you take with you through the rest of your life. Yeah, and, and and you know what I I would you know I would say it's the people the people I've met, and mm-hmm. the people I've had an opportunity to to train with like, you know being able to train with with Kurt uh, and Christy Amaguchi when they were at the top of their careers like they were so different competitors like Christy was a machine like she just didn't miss like she was so consistent and and Kurt is Kurt Kurt could be amazing one day and then he could be upside down the next day. And so, you know, you really saw how different everyone is. But, you know, I think what, you know, the, I think the best part of what skating uh, has done for me is it's the people I've met and the, and the friendships you have. And, you know, when, when you get together a couple of weekends ago, uh, you know, I spent a week, Kurt and I spent a weekend just kind of hanging out. And, and, you know, we talk about, we just talk about the good days of Edmonton and all that. We don't talk about the world championship and the Olympic games. It's, it's about our lives where skating has taken us and the fun we had along the way. And that's what you always will have with you, because you're right, Debbie. You have them out. You, you have your accolades for what you accomplish, and those are great. But it's the the friends and the people you met along the way that that shape you just as much. How did uh, becoming then a technical specialist? How did that enhance your career even further? What kind of experiences did you have there? Uh, well, <laughs> Debbie, we did this together. Do you remember how? Yes. You know, it, it was. Uh, I, I would say that was a stressful period. Like we, you know, we were thrown into a, a new judging system, and uh, well, I think what we had three days to learn it. We basically had three days to learn it to to be trained and tested to see if you were good enough to do it. And uh, and you know, I, I I think it was one. It was a great experience to to kind of dive into this the new system that was coming in place right away, but. You know, we we did the training in I think it was July of that year, and by by September we were already at international events, and then I was at a world championship that season. So you you really got fast track. But I found what what it did for me is it kind of brought me back in tune to the skating world because I really was at that point removed from it. Um, I'd been to Canadians, but I hadn't been to a world championship since '96 uh, in Edmonton when I was part of the organizing committee. Um, I went to 98 Olympics in a different in a capacity with the COC, but but I really wasn't in tune to really Skate Canada, how things were working in Skate Canada and and our skating community. So, I, in, in a lot of ways, it was a real eye opener uh, just to see what you know what athletes were doing uh, now uh, in the sport, where the sport was going, but also you know the. Uh, the Association Skate Canada that had, had done so much for me and um, just to see how 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 it was running and, and how the team was and all that and I, I found it was a bit of an eye opener because I I uh, you know it was it just was a different era than it was when I skated that's for sure. And I remember feeling too, Mike, and I think you and I had conversations about this at the time, was having to learn about skating from a quite a different perspective, being part of the conversation with the ISU and their determination to uh, try to make things more judgeable. I don't yeah, even know if that's a word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, transparent and try to define what what constitutes a good element what what makes that up 
And I think for me, certainly seeing how the various countries and the ISU leading it were trying to come up with um, standardized uh, descriptions of what makes good skating. I've, I've found that very inspiring to be part of that conversation. Oh yeah, I, I agree. Like it just, it was, it was really, um, it was an exciting time to be in there as, as a tech specialist. Cause we were, we were a small group at the time. Uh, we did a lot of events and you tended to work with the, you know, the same group a lot. And so I, I often worked with the same assistants. I worked a lot with the same controllers. And so you really uh, built a chemistry and and an understanding of of we you know God got everyone on the same page because you know a lot of us that were uh, in that role as specialists were were former skaters and and we would always when the benefit of the doubt came we would always side with the athlete over anything and I think that was uh, I think an attribute that all of us brought when we first came into the system of of athlete first and and not let's not punish the athlete let's let's help them where we can and so you know I I, I felt it was. Uh, um, you know, there was a, a lot of a growing pains at the start, but, uh, you know, you look at, at, the, at the system now, it's, uh, you know, it works well. And, and we have a, a whole generation of skaters that have now grown up in, in the system that you're really seeing uh, the fruits of that success. And then how did you make the transition into high performance director? Was it a tough decision to leave coaching? Uh, yeah, yes, it was, because, again, I, I just... It, that was nothing that was on my radar. I didn't really know what was going on at Skate Can at the time and then kind of was aware that there were changes coming along. And um, uh, I, I remember we did a, there was a planning session in 2006 that we went to in June of 2006 that had coaches, administrators and everything. And at that event, there was a few coaching peers and all that that all came up and said, well, you know, would you move to, would you move to Ottawa and be, you know, and be the high performance director. And I'm like, no, like that's not for me because I looked at that role as Barbara Graham, who was, who was the, you know, she was the skating developed director when we skated. And I just thought there's no way I could do Barbara's role because one, she scared the hell out of everyone. But, uh, but just, you know, it just, that's the, that's the person that I, I saw in that role. So um, I didn't think a lot about it. And then I left that, um, that meeting and uh and at that point uh william thompson had come in as as the interim uh ceo at the time and so i met with him early july he was in calgary so we just met and talked and uh about the the role and so at that point i i thought i would apply so i put my application in and uh as that summer went on it just was a summer of coaching where i had just a lot of athletes uh at that 17 18 16 to 18 years of age uh, people quitting a lot, just a lot of kind of weird stuff was just going on in, in just in the athletes' lives and changes. And I just kind of looked and kind of thought, you know what, I think this is the right time for me to make a change. And, uh, and so I, uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, fortunately I was, I was uh, selected uh, for, the, for the role of high performance director. And so um, that was in August of, of 2006. And then I had to finish that season because I couldn't leave our skaters in the competitive season with no coach. So um, I stayed on as a coach until March of uh, 27, uh, 2007. And then at that point, I took on the, the role of high performance director. You kind of um, invent, well, maybe invented isn't the right word, but uh, you certainly developed the program and, and what this position meant. 
How how do you feel? What was your personal stamp that you put on the high performance program? Uh, before I before I took the the role or even applied for the role, I I talked to a lot of my coaching peers, and first of all, to see if I had their support. Um, if they weren't if they didn't feel I was the right person for the job, then I wasn't going to go down that road. Uh, but I, I felt support from them, and and coming from the coaching. Um, Coming from the coaching end of it at that time, I just I just felt there was a disconnect between the coaches and the and the, and the association at the time. And and the coaches know the athletes the best. They're the ones that see them every day. We don't see them every day. They know they know what works for them. They know their uh, you know their quirks. They know they know their lives. They know all that stuff. And um, you know for us to come in and play God and tell people what to do doesn't work. And so. The first thing I kind of, uh, the first thing I approached when I took the job was was the coach was the boss, and so when I would go in, it would be it would be more what do you need from from us rather than this is what we want you to do, and we built that trust with the coaches that that they were in control, we were there behind them, and to support them. But if we needed to step in, we would. But they were they were running the ship, and I and I really think that's what's I think been. Uh, successful for our program is is they know um, you know I, I hope the coaches feel they they have the support of, of us at the office but not, not only us but our officials and and uh, and you know mentors in the field that we're all there to help and not and not dictate how they're supposed to do their job so I I really think that was the transition is building that trust back between the the skaters the coaches uh, with with Skate Canada and also creating a talent, uh, a pool of athletes, a larger pool than what we had to see. So we weren't kind of pinning all our hopes on one athlete in each discipline. We're speaking with Mike Slipchuk, High Performance Director at Skate Canada, and reliving uh, some of the great memories you have, both as a Canadian champion, a former competitor, uh, a coach, a judge, and now a high performance director at Skate Canada. Mike, I had the privilege of working very closely with you over the years. And of course, one real highlight for me was our experience in Vancouver at the 2010 Games. Yeah. Uh, an amazing experience for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think uh, with your leadership as the team leader there, uh, there were certainly some outstanding moments, not only on the ice, but off the ice. I'm yeah. Sure you agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, Debbie, we talked a lot about this as we let in. And, um, you know, I'm so glad I, I, I had you uh, there with us. And, you know, your experiences uh, uh, in skating uh, that you've had over the years in, in your capacities, but also being with the team in 2006. You know, I always, I always feel it's good to have some consistency from games to games. Uh, uh, because Olympic Games are a different beast. They're just, they're not, they're not an ISU championship. There's so much that goes on. And you're in, and you're in a bubble. So um, you know, having having the right people with the experience on the ground makes a difference. And and you're right. It was uh, it was the 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 start of of a lot of our our skaters' careers. And and for some, it was it was uh, an amazing ending to their careers. And uh, uh, you know, yeah, we we had we had a lot of highlights, but we had a lot of challenges there. But uh, you know, the right people surrounding the team. And and I always say that about that about that games we had the right support staff we had the right group of coaches we had the right group of athletes everyone understood 
the magnitude of the games and 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 the challenges that we that we did uh, face there with um, you know and with unfortunately the passing of Joni's mom and that um, it, it could have been a, a, a tougher scenario if we didn't have the right people there. So uh, I think the chemistry of of the team as a whole is important, and uh, I think that's uh, I think that's been an asset of of our Canadian team. Uh, I would say since since 2007 on is is uh, they're a, they're a team. It's a team in all aspects, and that makes a difference. How do you compare 2010 with the current uh, Olympic experience? Looking at 2018 and kind of gauging where things are in the sport now. Uh, well, you know, I know we've talked a lot about this. You know, when we we went to Vancouver and coming out of Vancouver, we didn't know what our team was going to look like moving forward. Um, you know, we we had a feeling Joe and E possibly would retire after 2010 because uh, that would that was now her second Olympics. Um, Tessa Scott had won, so you'd never know what what people will do after they win. Uh, Patrick, we knew would still be in because he was just that was only his really his uh, third year at the senior level. Um, so, you know, we we were we were kind of a bit of uh, we were kind of a bit on a on a build in a lot of disciplines, but we had a good base around us. And, uh, and I think it's that base that kept building with, with Tess and Scott and Patrick uh, kind of leading that, that group moving forward. And then, you know, unfortunately um, that season, Bryce Davison had, had that career ending knee injury right before skate Canada. And, you know, our, our top, our top pair in the world is, is out and uh, upstepped Dylan and Kirsten. And Eric and Megan were now a new were a new team that year, and we just we had people to step in when something came up, and and that's kind of the team that kind of grew over uh, the next eight years. And uh, even you know we were in search of a lady, and and our lady uh, our lady came to the forefront in 2013 with Caitlin Osmond, and uh, you know, the pieces just started to fall into place. Um, you know, I can't say exactly how that all worked, but again, I, I, I attribute it all to what our, our coaches and I think our our high performance program built uh, uh, contributed to all that. I take a look at the team, and uh, of course, I feel an enormous amount of pride, but I I also sense that they are risk takers. That uh, not only do they work hard and train hard and push themselves to be uh, something more and better. I sense that they take on the challenge in a, a very um, committed and even unique way. In in some cases, yeah, they do. And and you know when you look when you look at that group when we went into 2014, you know uh, Tessa Scott Patrick had that Olympic experience, but but Megan and Eric Kirsten and Dylan. Uh, Kevin Reynolds, uh, 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 Caitlin, they, they didn't. Um, uh, Caitlin and Andrew, like they didn't have that Olympic experience. And, and you know, you really got to go through a games to see what it's all about. Uh, Gabby Dalman was there also. And, and, I, and I think that team learned a lot in a lot of capacities. Um, we learned a lot about the team event, which, you know, has, has been spoken a lot by Scott and, and Megan and them, you know, post this Olympics about how uh, – how they felt leaving it, um, but you know we we went into that game with 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 aspirations for medals and and the athletes uh, produced those medals. But um, you know I think they they all left there um, you know itching for you know that gold medal uh, and realized that that team gold medal is is something that's that we you know we were you know we we should have been 
more aggressive on. Um, I felt the team was. I, I feel the team we put together, for the team event in 2014, was the right people. It was the right people in each discipline. It was what it was. But Russia was there to win. It was very clear that their goal was to win the team event. And I think that steered how our, how our team looked at the team event in 2018. Uh, there was no turning back. And, uh, and I, you know, the result speaks for itself. Looking ahead, Mike, what what do you see as perhaps the biggest challenge facing the sport? Or have you ha- even had a moment to think about what that might be? Uh, they, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, watching the men's event in, in at Olympics last year, and you're or in in uh, Korea, and you're just looking at at what the men are doing now. You know, as far as as the the number of different quads. Um, you know, you look at that and you kind of think of your own country and go, you know. Do we have people in that pipeline? And yeah, we do. Uh, we we have a, a really good group of young juniors moving up that that they've learned in this system. They're doing multiple quads already. We have some younger seniors that are doing that. So, you know, we we have men that are tracking the right way. Um, uh, ladies, we've you know we've we've had probably the best run in ladies uh, that we've had. We have some you know again it you know we'll have to give our younger uh, ladies some time to keep developing. Uh, dance, we've, you know, we've always had strong dance, and and uh, you know, I think if it's anything, the depth of our dance, uh, you know, has has uh, the, the top doesn't change much. So you know, we feel comfortable leading in with that, and you know, with pairs, um, you know, the the pairs we have up there are are strong. It's just uh, you know, with pairs, I would say this since the last eight years, what we have is quality. We just don't have quantity, and so pair depth, not only in Canada but I think in the world, is is a struggle. And I think that's one area we have to find. We have to find a way to get more athletes interested and encouraged to want to try pairs, so we can build that. Because you know, we we have a lot of skaters that that could become, we feel good pair skaters in Canada. And uh, you know, when you look at, at Dylan, Dylan, Kirsten, Eric, and Megan, uh, you know, they all have Olympic medals from pairs, be it the team event or individual. And and probably out of that group, the only one that that could have had a shot at maybe getting in there in an individual discipline would have been Megan, who was an alternate in 2006. So, um, you know, I, we're always a little, um, we always struggle a bit with why, why it's harder to, to build athletes to get into pairs when the opportunities are, are greater than they could be in, in singles. So it, it's a challenge. It's something we've, we've been faced with for years and we'll, we'll keep working on it. And what's your schedule like for the upcoming season? Run us through that. How many yeah, airports are you going to be in? Yeah, well, it's all straight. I went to Alaska for the first time. I just came back. I went up to see Keegan uh, up in Alaska, which was, uh, you know, a great couple of days just to, you know, it's always great to see the athletes in their training environment, to see where they skate, see where their gyms are, see what facilities they have and, and just their life. So um, we had never had a chance to get up to see him. So I saw that, but I've, uh, I've done Western Canada. I've most of Toronto I've seen, and I'll go to Montreal tomorrow. And then the week after we start with Minto. So it'll be uh, summer events for the next four weeks. And then, uh, so mostly here and then our high performance camp at the end of April, uh, August. And then we start the season. And, uh, as in past years, the, I'll go to a lot of the events, uh, cause I just, I always like to see our athletes in competition to see where they're at compared to the field yeah. and also to see where the field is going. Uh, you can't see that on video. So I, I'm always, I always like just to sit and watch and see what, what the rest of the world is doing to see what we need to do to, uh, to stay ahead or, or catch up. 
And, you know, thinking back, uh, I remember how important it was to me as an athlete to see that familiar, friendly face consistently. And you have such a great knack of bringing things into perspective, uh, such a great sense of humor and uh, always so much support. Um, describe for us, if you could, when you do a visit to an athlete, for instance, when you went to see Keegan, what, what kind of things do you look for? What do you work on? Uh, we, well, we do, uh, technically, I want to see where they're at uh, to see, you know, any, any new elements they're doing, uh, uh, you know, so a lot of stuff. I, I just really watch the training session. So I always tell the coaches, just do a normal training session. Let's see programs either in parts or all the way through. Uh, but do a normal training day. Don't change things because I'm here. So I, I'd like to just see what they, what their training day uh, uh, includes. But, you know, with, with Keegan, um, because there's been a lot of uh, changes from the ISU, uh, especially in the men's this year, where the programs are 30 seconds shorter, they've removed one jump element, and, and they've changed the rule that you can only do three jumps in the back half of the program. When he did his first run through, he had four jumps in the second half. So, we had to kind of find a way to shove one of the jumps into the first half of the program, but not lose the continuity of the program. So, um, you know, leaving there, the program te uh, technically is all in the right order. Um, it does need some, you know, development that he'll work on with Lance when he comes up uh, later this summer. But at Lance least he's Pond. Yeah, yeah, Lance, Lance Vipond is choreographer. Yes, who did both his programs. And so at least the program technically uh, has has all the elements in the correct order that that everything is going to make uh, you know that will get the full points when when completed so now he can at least train it and then it can just be developed from there but um, if we hadn't done that visit then he would have had he would have showed up at uh, Ontario at Thornhill or Ontario event we'll have in August with with uh, uh, four elements in the second half and he would have lost one jump so you know that's that's a lot of in the summer when I go out to see everyone is just to make sure that the programs, we, we got all the elements in to see what, uh, you know, what, what assistance they need. Do we need to bring a technical specialist in to see them? Do we need judges to come in? Like, like what, what other components of, of our monitoring team do you need? And uh, it's more of a touch base. And then, and then we get them in competition and we go from there. Yeah, I see. It's kind of using the science of scoring to yeah. the skater's uh, maximum potential, which is so important. How do you, as high performance director, how do you deal with the, the kind of Twitterverse that that's going around about how with so many quads and all the emphasis on quads, we're losing the artistic side of skating? I personally don't see that, but... How do how do you buffer that kind of thinking? Yeah, I, I agree, Debbie. I don't see that either. You know, the, the sports evolved, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's uh, you know, uh, you could take any sport. Look at you know, mogul skiing. Uh, you know what what they did when they uh, you know what Jean Luc Broussard did in '98 uh, versus what uh, uh, Kingsbury did in uh, Kingsbury did in. 20, uh, 20 or 18, like the, the tricks they do now, um, the difficulty, every sport's going to evolve. Um, I just really think where, where we've gotten with, uh, with the new technical rules is, is that margin of error in the men's program is so small that there really isn't like, um, if you're able to do the multiple quads, 
it, it's going to be an asset to you. But if you start to have, if you start to miss a few, you don't have much else to hold the program up. So you got to be strategic, and that's more the message. What I've seen everyone this summer is, is you know, have a strategic program that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket because you need you need a base of some of some technical to hold you up there. So uh, I, I think it'll be, um, you know, it, the best skaters are still going to rise regardless what the system is because that's that's just the ability and the talent they have. But you know, for those athletes in the middle that are fighting to get up into that top group and get on that podium. Uh, if they're strategic and they compete well, I think they're going to see themselves uh, have a successful season. So, you know, the system is what it is. You you got to work with it, and that's that's the bottom line. And I think too, um, the other part of that bottom line is if you want to win, you got to skate well. Well, exactly. Pretty like, simple. It's pretty simple, and you know, it, uh, you know, you you know, with uh, a lot of events. The, the people that win, they win it. And then you got to go out and you got to, you got to steal it from everyone else. And, and uh, you know, we, we saw that at Olympics last year, Megan and Eric went out and they weren't going to be denied a medal and they, they did everything in their power to get third. And they did uh, that's, that's competition. And uh, you know, all we can do is, is set, set the best program for our athletes. But uh, you know, the, the challenge that the athletes have, and especially at a young age is, is they'll write out their programs on a piece of paper and they have, this is, this is my, this is what I think, this is what the score I want to get, but what they do in the ice is the reality. And so we're trying to, trying to reel that in that it's easy to say, I'm going to do four quads on paper, but in, in re- reality, maybe, maybe one is, is what the goal should be this year. And so, uh, you know, this, this system really credits and punishes that. So uh, you, you kind of realize that pretty fast. It's a tough sport and a fantastic sport. It teaches us so much. It involves such incredible people all the way from athletes and coaches to officials and volunteers, those amazing folks that run our clubs, mm-hmm. and of course to the National Association. We're, we're very lucky to have been involved for our lifetimes, Mike. Oh, very. And, and you're right. It's, you know, everybody that's that's involved in our sport and you're right, uh, you know, for, you know, the volunteers that that make our events run and make the clubs run and, and, and give every give all these athletes somewhere to start. And and the coaches from grassroots right up to high performance that, that get the athletes through the system. And and, you know, being that you and I have both worked uh, worked with Skate Canada, the, the work our office does to make to make this whole thing tick, the. The amount of work that goes, you know, I look at what my department does. You know, we, we're sending out probably 40 events a year of teams uh, going out. And and they get everyone everyone where they got to get to. Uh, you know, we all show up with, with everything we need and, and it runs smooth. And, and that and, you know, the events we put on, Skate Canada, Canadians, uh, all the way through to, to membership. Every, everyone plays such a huge part to make... To make our uh, to make Skate Canada what it is that uh, it's important. It's just not one thing. It's it's a it's a definitely a group effort in all aspects. Well, Mike, thanks so much for your time today and for being such a great supporter and um, promoter of our sport, not just in Canada but around the world. You really have created a legacy for yourself. And right. thanks so much for being with us today. I appreciate it as always, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. What a great story. 
and I'm sure we all agree that we're very thankful Mike took the time and agreed to sit down with us and share the path he took from his competitive career into his professional career. We'd love to know what you think. One of the things you can do on our alumni blog is pull up the podcast episode or any other post that we add to the page and add your comments. Go to alumni.skatecanada.ca, click on the episode or your post, and let us know what you think. We'll do our best to incorporate your ideas into future episodes or invite special guests that you'd like to hear from. So please share your thoughts, suggestions, and feedback. Now, while I've got your attention, one thing we'd like to draw your attention to for the alumni listening is the 2018 Alumni Event Package. And this is at the Grand Prix of Figure Skating Final in Vancouver. That's December 5th to 9th. We have a special Alumni Event Package for you, and it's going to include a ton of stuff. You're going to get tickets to the event, so all event tickets. You'll get special VIP lounge access. And there's going to be a brunch as well, so an alumni and friends brunch, and you'll also get a ticket to the Exhibition Gala. So huge package, lots included in there, and you'll also get to sit down and chat with your fellow alumni um, and just experience a great networking opportunity. The total cost for that package is $349, and that's valued at $555, so great deal. Make sure you reserve your ticket and get in touch with us so you can email Selena, that's cstepanic at skatecanada.ca, and that information is also on the alumni blog, so alumni.skatecanada.ca. That brings us to the end of our third episode. We hope that you continue to enjoy everything you're hearing and that you'll return to join us again for episode four next month. Until then, take care and don't forget to visit us online at alumni.skatecanada.ca.